you should cut out this part. Uh, no, I'm leaving this in. The network would like us to apologize for our, their words, avant-garde use of gifts in company emails. We're sorry. We're not sorry. We're not. Okay. Remember when I when I spoke to you in our very first episode about William Windsor, the Lance Corporal who was also a goat? Yes. And I then went on to present the to penguin. you a number of other animals with varying degrees of status in all manners of militaries. Is this the penguin? The Norwegian penguin? No, this is not the Norwegian penguin. So sorry. Uh, wow. Well, I regret it now. You look so immensely disappointed. But how about instead I tell you about a list of animals with fraudulent diplomas? What? <laughs> what? Alternately titled, non-human animals with more degrees than Jenna. <laughs> oh, no. Yes. So before so, we were talking about oh, animals with military status, now we're talking about animals with academic status. Okay, wait. This is what I need to know. What Are do there know? animals with non-fraudulent diplomas? Like... That's a really good question. Is there an elephant with a master's in anthropology? Probably. Okay. Probably. Honestly, I didn't look up animals with diplomas that they actually earned. I <laughs> purely was looking at animals with fraudulent ones. Fantastic. So that's a really good question and something that someone should follow up on. Not me. But not right now. <laughs> so these fall into two categories. One accredited institutions that award mock degrees for the sake of the lulls. So I guess that's kind of what you're talking about. Like, I don't know. If like there's a school that awarded a dog, a dog instead of a doctorate. I also feel your face. Yeah. Yeah. The golf clap. Exactly. So I'm sure someone's given an elephant something. Uh, two institutions that bestow degrees upon animals by accident. Uh, some people who apparently have a lot of time on their hands submit their pets, who, for the record, the article felt the need to clarify, have not attended any classes or achieved any form of academic success. These people submit their pets purely to demonstrate a, uh, the lackadaisical standards for such accomplishments, which, as someone who didn't go to college, I'm endlessly amused by um so some of them are from what are apparently known as diploma mills which i guess are just the places where you can just like they're non-accredited and you can just like pay for a degree i guess that's a thing trump university exactly um, or the sorry the scam formerly known as trump university yes important distinction uh, others hail from organizations that were otherwise considered legitimate. So the list that I found up found the list that I found is split up into two categories, dogs and more importantly, according to me, cats. So let's start with <laughs> some dogs with more academic prowess than I am <clears throat> Lulu. Infamously known in the legal community <laughs> for her 2010 MBA from Concordia College in the U.S. Virgin Islands. 
Molly, a basset hound with a high school diploma, who in doing so highlighted the flaws in a Texas law for homeschooled students. Pete, or more formally, Peter Smith, who acquired an MBA as a management consultant from the American University in London. Sunny, whose work experience included significant proctology experience <sighs> sniffing other dogs' bums. Obviously a British person wrote that. Wally, whose experience playing with kids granted him a life experience associate degree in childhood development from Almeida University. Ollie, or Dr. Olivia, named the associate editor of the Global Journal of Addiction and Rehabilitation Medicine. Yikes. Again, a dog. Uh, there's Chester Ludlow, who's a pug with a distinction in finance. There's Maxwell Sniffingwell, an English bulldog accepted to Belford University, whose application included experimental work with felines and his natural ability in theriogenology. Theriogenology. Meaning? Animal reproduction. <laughs> he liked to fuck. And my favorite name <laughs> of all these dogs, Sassafras Herbert, a lady poodle with a diploma from the American Association of Nutrition and Dietary Consultants. Her human was a New York physician who set out to demonstrate that something that looks like a diploma doesn't mean that somebody has responsible training. Now for the pussy. First, there's Zoe D. Katz, K-A-T-Z-E, which translates to Zoe the Cat in German, which I'm sure you would have never guessed. Zoe obtained several well-known hypnotherapy certifications. Yikes. Which was later examined by the American Bar Association and CBS News, and Zoe is now cited in several books and articles on credentialing scams. Oreo C. Collins <laughs> is a tuxedo cat whose human Kelvin Collins used in a motherfucking sting. <laughs> Oreo was a part of a sting operation. What? Run by the Better Business Bureau of Central Georgia. Oh, my God. Which had Oreo misrepresent her age <laughs> in order to... She was like six, I think. In order to obtain a diploma from Jefferson High School Online. In 2009. <clears throat> then there was Oliver Green Halg. Probably pronounced differently than that, but spelled green H-A-L-G-H. It looks like a sneeze. Oliver was accepted as a fellow in 1967 of the English Association of Estate Agents and Valuers. It's because his human was a cameraman pursuing bogus professional associations. Oliver's two references were allegedly never verified. There's Kitty O'Malley, known to close friends as Spanky. Oh, probably pretty big in the kink community, who obtained a high school diploma from Washington High Academy. It was unfortunately deemed insufficient to gain her admission to local colleges. So Kitty could never pursue her dreams. There's Henrietta, who was granted a diploma in nutrition from the American Association of Nutritional Consultants. 
Her human Ben Goldiger, a UK-based physician and science journalist, commented, This is a particular honor, spelled with an O-U, since dear sweet little Hetty died about a year ago. That's right, this man got his dead cat a diploma. George, whose human was a BB show, BBC show presenter, uh, secured accreditation as a hypnotherapist after registering with the British Board of Neurolinguistic Programming, the United Fellowship of Hypnotherapists, and the Professional Hypnotherapy Practitioner Association. And apparently, George now legitimately helps people with PTSD. I don't know how. I don't know what he does. Very accomplished. Lastly, there's Colby Nolan, awarded an MBA in 2004 from Trinity Southern University, which led to a fraud lawsuit from the Pennsylvania Attorney General's office. Colby Nolan lived with an attorney general at the time, and undercover, undercover agents were able to obtain a bachelor's degree in business and administration for this six-year-old cat. <laughs> Colby probably sat on a lot of keyboards. This was my personal note, so I'm sure that um, Colby was very proficient uh, as a business person, as a business cat. Um, they listed such a variety of job experience and such an impressive GPA that the institution actually offered Colby Nolan an executive MBA for just $100 more. A lawsuit was then filed to provide restitution to anyone who had ordered a degree from Trinity. The school's assets were frozen. They were ordered to cease the representation of an accredited university. But the folks that ran it were apparently also associated with Wesleyan International University, but I'm not sure where that ended up going. Wow. Colby Nolan declined comment, instead electing to show everyone his butthole and take a nap. And that was a list of animals with degrees. Or at least the ones that we know about so far. That's amazing. <laughs> the end. <laughs> Hi, everyone. This episode is sponsored by our Aunt Gilda, who chose to... Oh, my God. To... Give me the mic. Give me the I... microphone. Oh, I can't... I... Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Crisis Corner with Aunt Gilda. I'm Aunt Gilda, and this is the Crisis Corner. <sighs> oh, my God. I can't believe you guys are having this show. You could have gone to school. You could have been something, done something with your life. And instead, you guys are having this show. You're doing this show. You talk about nothing. To whom? For what? There are things going on in the world, and you're not, you're not even contributing to society in any meaningful way. You're not wearing the sweat I bought you. You're not eating enough. I can't believe you're doing this. You think you're going to make a living doing this? You think you're going to actually have some impact on the world? My pug, Lulu, has more of an influence on the world than you do. Oh, my God, poor Lulu. She's having some sort of issue. There's black mold all over the house. I think it's coming out of her asshole she drags her ass around she does she can't breathe fucking right because she's gmo you look at a wolf you think that's not a pug how could a pug ever come from that and then fucking karen you go to the grocery store you don't want your gmo corn guess what bitch all of your corn is gmo just fucking shut up and eat my food it's delicious thank you and gilda really thank big. you so much wow uh just wow there are no words. Jenna? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, let's both pee. Let's both pee. Pee break and go. Everybody pee. Everybody pee. Hey. Everybody pee. Everybody pee. Hey. Okay. Okay. Let me tell you about Lev Turner.
Terman. He is the father of all electronic music, who was caught up in the politics surrounding both world wars, the Bolshevik Revolution, the Russian Civil War, the Cold War, and American race politics. Wow, what a busy guy. Super busy, busy, busy man. He was born in uh, 1896 in St. Petersburg, and when he was 15 years old, he was arguing with his physics teacher, giving Tesla-esque electrical demonstrations at his school for every student and their families, and discovered a new star with a makeshift observatory he had constructed in his old backyard. At 15? At 15. Well, fuck me. I've never done anything in my life. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, this is, yeah. Yeah. We won't, let's not stay there. Let's not stay in that place. So needless to say, he ended (laughs) up in the most prestigious mathematics, physics, and music programs in St. Petersburg. And after just one year in university, the First World War broke out and uh, Lev was drafted, but used the influence of his professors to be restationed from the front lines to the military engineering school and then the Corps of Engineers. So he was primarily setting up radio communications and teaching members of the Russian military to do the same. While he was serving in the military, the Bolshevik Revolution occurred. And as Lenin took power, Lev Terman found himself on the front lines of another war, creating military technology for the Red Army. And One device that he created during this time was called the Radio Watchman, which was sort of like a burglar alarm that created tones as a result of pressure changes in the air. So the idea is uh, you would put this device at the windows or doors of a building, and when someone passes through, it makes a sound very similar to a metal detector. It kind of goes like <laughs> well more like a yeah you know um yeah as a matter of fact uh, spoiler alert he he created the theremin and the people need to know that we struggle with basic this dude is inventing fucking theremins and metal detector shit at 15 and we are struggling with operating a zoom call yeah yeah <laughs> Well, at this at this point in time, you know, he's a young adult. He's a 20 something year old. He's created um, the most advanced closed circuit camera device on the planet and also the radio watchman. Wow. Um, And it was at the same time and with the same technology that Lev created the first ever etherphone, the first electrical instrument ever made. These are now called theremins after Lev Terman's stage name, Leon Theremin. What kind of engineer has a stage name? This one, and you'll find out why shortly. Oh, okay. So, um... What a tease. Cut to commercial break. Um... <laughs> what was that a commercial a for? X Lax? We'll never know. <laughs> no one ever. No one knows. So, Terman had a vision of music creation more seamless than the use of mechanical instruments. In fact, his dream was to have 
people imagine symphonies and through their imagination create the sound out of speakers. Oh, wow. And the closest he got to that was a synthesizer controlled by eye movement, which is nuts. That's wild. Back into it. Um, <laughs> I didn't know we ever left. <laughs> he, he was a classically trained cellist, um, and he was able to play classics with the eerie sound of his ether phone by moving two hands through the air. So he created... Which is how a theremin works. It's how a theremin works. He, he created it with the notion that motion similar to conducting would control the instrument. Um, and Lennon himself summoned Terman for a meeting in which Terman explained both the radio watchman and the etherphone. And the Russian dictator was so taken by the etherphone that he asked to be shown how to play a song and Terman stepped behind the dictator and took his hands and helped him play the Russian classic, The Lark. So just that sounds really hot. That sounds like the beginning of their romantic comedy. When he gets behind him and like a ghost-esque, let me show you. Just as you were saying, just imagine our boy Terman as Patrick Swayze in Ghost with Vladimir Lenin as Demi Moore, except instead of unchained <laughs> melody, you hear this. Oh, wow. Um, so let me send you, in addition, images of uh, Terman from a couple years after this meeting with Lenin and an image of Lenin from the same year so that you can really get an imagination on this um, ghost Patrick Swayze Demi Moore scene. But Every time you send me another photo of him, his hairline recedes further. No, the first one is Terman, the second one is Lennon. So oh, I see. The, the guy with the pencil stash um, is Terman, the, the young 20-something-year-old. And then in front of him, with his wrists being held by Terman, is Vladimir Lenin, leader of the Soviet Union. Beautiful. What a love. The love, the meat cute no one was ready for. I, um, I'll, I'll edit this part out if you want, but do you want to explain what meat cute? I just assume it's two men touching. Like images. <laughs> no, I wish that's what it was. <laughs> images of men, because you said like meat. <laughs> No, oh god yeah just just two oh dicks. meat with no, two no, no. e's yes meat with two e's oh jesus it's what they a meat cute that's amazing though oh. a meat cute is what they refer to in movies as like when two people who are going to become lovers when they first meet and it's almost always like it's very very hard to do well most of them are cheesy and dumb and you don't know why these people are attracted to each other once in a while they're done well but it's the whole like oh i see you holding this record that's a record i also like that's you know 
It's like where the two people who are going to end up being lovers meet, the meet cute. I think the greatest meet cute of my lifetime was in The Lion King when Simba and Nala meet as infants. They're infant cats who have a platonic interaction that lets the audience know that later they're going to be boning to the subtle sounds of Elton John. (laughs) We should all aspire to such greatness. (laughs) And now back to the story. Yes, back to the story. So um, (laughs) after this meeting, the radio watchman was installed at the Kremlin the state bank, and other secure state buildings. And Lenin requested that Terman become a cultural messenger for the Soviet Union. Excuse me. A couple years later, when Stalin assumed power, he expanded the role to cultural messenger and spy, ordering Terman to tour the Soviet Union Europe, and America with the message that Soviet engineering would put the compositional power of a symphony in the hands of the common person, and also sending very strategic messages back to Moscow. I just want to pause for a moment on the concept of a cultural messenger. Okay. Like, just the idea that that's a job title. Like, so what would an American one be? Um, like, here's a burger on a gun. Well, it's funny you say that <laughs> because Jackson Pollock and this this isn't part of my thing. But for a short aside, you asked about American cultural messengers. The CIA and FBI propped up Jackson Pollock and Mark Rothko in their career as cultural messengers of the United States, trying to win over members of the Soviet Union saying, oh, doesn't it suck not having the capacity to be intellectual? Check out how wild and crazy it is in America. We have artists who can just splatter paint on a canvas and make millions of dollars secretly because the government is helping them do that. But Don't worry about that. Capitalism wins, you know? So. Uh, I have so many questions, but that's for another episode. Yeah. So America was doing that (laughs) while at the same time, the Soviet Union was sending a brilliant physicist around the world to play classical music with like eerie sounds that a, um, an American journalist described as a cello lost in fog. I think I've tasted a flavor of LaCroix that could be described the same way. <laughs> Some days I too wake up feeling like a cello lost in fog. Back to it? Back to it. Okay, so. Um, <laughs> so Terman was sent by Stalin to spread the message that Soviet engineering would put the compositional power of a symphony into the hands of the common person. And when Terman and his wife Katya moved to and toured America, RCA did its best to market the etherphone, now called the theremin, under very similar pretenses. They called it an instrument that anyone could easily play, covering the entire audible range of the human ear and beyond. You can make tones on the theremin that are bassier than humans can hear and higher pitched than humans can hear. What the fuck is the point of that? Play music no one will hear. Impress your friends. For the low, low price of $195. 
which seems reasonable now. But no, back then that was like an arm, a leg and your firstborn child. Roughly the equivalent of three thousand dollars. Please don't sell your children for that. Well, it depends on which child we're talking about. Wow. I'm trying to sell my eggs. I feel it. Hit me up. <laughs> um, uh, so unfortunately, not everyone could easily afford it and even fewer could easily play it. Uh, because... Well, that's just false advertising then, isn't it? <laughs> Welcome to America! So... America! We suck! <laughs> but not as bad as the Soviet Union did. And you'll see why soon. Um, <laughs> More teases. <laughs> so, during this time, Terman, stage name Leon Theremin, toured the country to sold-out venues. Uh, that image of him that I sent you earlier with the stachio... Uh, was from mm. a rehearsal for his sold-out performance at Carnegie Hall. Mm, weird flex, but okay. He played classical music accompanied by full orchestras. He also discussed and duetted in science and music with Albert Einstein, a classically trained violinist, and introduced the instrument to Alfred Hitchcock, who fam famously used it in two ethereal film scores Citation needed. Don't remember the names of which ones. Um, and it was it was during this stay in New York City that Terman made advances in the world of electronic music. He created the first drum machine called the Rhythmicon, and pa uh, I'm pausing for your reaction because I feel like I'm kind of bulldozing the conversation. Did you have more? to say about the Rhythmicon? No, I just like that it just sounds like like either a really dangerous sex toy or like a convention. Oh, no. That's just a silent disco or RoboCop. RoboCop's side hustle. <laughs> what he really wants to do is play music. You probably should bulldoze these thoughts. No one needs these thoughts. I want them. Uh, you can, <laughs> I, I think you can see why I had an immediate fascination with and desire to discover every little bit about this guy. The moment I learned that he made the first drum machine and synthesizer, I was like, oh, this is awesome. Then I found out he was also a spy, and I was like, what? Um, that was the sound of your brain popping. Yeah. Um, and this is the sound of me telling you that he also created a polyphonic theremin synthesizer controlled by the entire body that would play four notes at once. Whoa, that just sounds like noise. It sounds like it would be noise, but it led to the greatest romance of his life. With Lennon? No, <laughs> Lennon's dead <laughs> at this point. And also at, at this point in the story and also now. <laughs> <laughs> it's still true. Still true. <laughs> um, Fact checked. Holds up. Yeah. So let me let me backpedal a bit. Um, so he and Katya moved to the United States and the Soviet government is like, you guys should get a divorce. And they were like, what? And they were like, he would be more effective as a spy if he weren't married. So they split per Soviet government's order. 
And wow. Terman ended up proposing to two theremin virtuosos, one named Clara Rockmore, who was a fellow scientist, classical musician, and Soviet emigre who turned down his proposal three times for a lawyer. Wait, wait okay, ignoring that, that Bubby comment, well, I thought they said he couldn't be married. Right, well, they, they said it would be better if he weren't married to Katya. Uh, the Soviet Union intervening in his first marriage made space for his second marriage. Remember that instrument I described to you where it has four tones controlled by the entire body dancing in motion, creating like one one body dancing creates um, basically a quartet of theremin mm -hmm. synthesizers. The most skilled player of that was Lavina Williams, the young star of the American Negro Ballet and polyphonic full-body theremin synthesizer extraordinaire, who, upon his witnessing her ability to bring his vision to life, he was like, marry me? And she said, happily. Um, and in 1931, they got married. Um, and... Their biracial marriage was so controversial in 1931 that it made Terman's continuing tour of America very difficult. So um, his tour of America was spoiled by shitty bigotry. And then Moscow was like, Terman, uh, you suck it, your job, come home. At the same time, the USA was trying to deport him. Um, in, oh, wow. in a memo direct to Herbert Hoover, it was noted that the scientist had overstayed his visa by years, had racked up immense debt through a complicated system of founding shell corporations that would lend each other money, <laughs> and had also installed security systems for local government buildings under false names. Spying on people and stealing money truly is the American dream. It sounds like he was doing it right. Right? I, I, yeah. I, I'm like so like... He belongs. It, he belongs here. Yeah. I, I think it's amazing, you know, as a Soviet spy, he comes to America and manipulates the corporate machine to rack up what like would translate into millions of dollars of debt today. He should run for president. Might as well. <laughs> He's dead. He's also dead. Everyone <laughs> in this story don't let is that dead. Stop you. Spoiler. Don't spoiler. <laughs> um. Don't let your dreams be dreams. In the words of Shia LaBeouf. Okay, so in 1938, he finally agreed to return to the USSR, um, and he did so. Pardon me. In the dead of a night, telling no one. His wife, Lavinia, filed a missing persons report and assumed him to be abducted by one of the many governments interested in his work. <laughs> Lev didn't know how close to the truth her fears would be because he returned to the USSR just in time for the Great Purge, Stalin's infamous destruction of possible dissidents. The previous year, 1937, one in 20 Soviet citizens had been abducted and either killed or imprisoned. 
Why did he return all of a sudden? Seven, no one knows. seven, seven years the worth of the book. Soviet government saying come back and the American government saying get out and two armed men coming to his house in the middle of the night and putting him on a boat. Oh, I see. I see. So he didn't choose to leave. He knew he was leaving that night. He didn't know that it would. So he had like packed a bag. Well, but but the like okay, but I mean the like dudes showing up at the door. Yeah, like people were literally forcing him to leave. Yeah, it wasn't like he was saying, "Okay, fine, no, I'll go home." It it seemed to me that he had grown to really enjoy conversations with Albert Einstein, racking up a shit ton of debt and living the spy lifestyle. I'm sure. I'm sure many would yeah. enjoy all those things. Yeah. His poor wife, poor Lavinia. Yeah. Anyway. So Lev Terman was just as unlucky, if not more so, than his romantic interests because he ended up in a gulag, uh, in the gulag named Kalima, a Soviet labor camp where over a million people died. Um, in total, Hawkward. an estimated 18 million uh, USSR residents died in gulags. Um, and he was locked up along with other intellectuals on primarily fabricated charges. They were forced to work for meager rations proportional to the products of their labor, uh, which created a negative feedback loop that caused millions to starve to death. Yeah, this was this was like top three genocides, correct? Like at, to, uh, of known history, right? Yeah. And Lev managed to survive. Um, he engineered a way to increase the productivity of his entire crew by creating a makeshift track for the wheelbarrows from scrap wood pressed into the snow. And this allowed him and his whole crew to get more than enough stones to survive in terms of rations. Lev discovered that he had ended up in the same gulag as the vast majority of the Moscow and Leningrad Philharmonic orchestras. What are the odds? <laughs> right? So he petitioned the officials to conjure instruments and conducted what was likely the most talented detained orchestra in existence. But how, how competitive a category is that, if we're being honest? I mean, I don't know, him and Johnny Cash. When was Johnny Cash detained? He was just in prison playing music. Look, I'm I'm trying here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um so uh the Kalima officials were happy to comply. They invited officials of other gulags to witness the orchestra in an effed up show of one upmanship. Oh God, human beings. What? I, I just said human beings in a disgruntled manner. Oh yeah. This is us. This is us. After a few months in Kalima, Lev was kidnapped from his gulag, put on a train to Moscow, given fresh clothes and cigarettes, and he found himself at a large wooden table, candlelit, with a three-course meal uh, with fresh meat and hot chocolate. Sitting at the table with him were other Soviet scientists and intelligentsia that had experienced the same conditions of imprisonment, interrogation, and starvation. They were all about to work together 
in secret laboratories creating military technology. That's some Pan's Labyrinth shit. Yep. Creepy. His time at this lab led to the last invention of his that I'll discuss with you, and it was called The Thing. I love that movie. One of my favorites. John Carpenter truly at his best. I've never seen it, but... What? So The Thing was basically a specialized antenna with no power source. When Russia's equivalent of Boy Scouts gifted the American embassy a giant wooden replica of the American seal, none of the seven security clearance checks, including the x-ray examination, discovered anything suspicious about the device. That's because, on its own, it's just a hunk of metal. I smell a butt. What? I smell a butt. Oh, yeah. Uh, But, but if an intelligence agent some 300 meters away broadcasts microwave signals towards the device, the device transmit back, transmits back radio waves, which can then be played as audio. It was discovered some seven years later when a British radio operator living in Moscow accidentally tuned in to the American ambassador dictating letters to his secretary. Oh. The discovery occurred at around the same time that the U.S. had shot down a Soviet U-2 bomber airplane And the Soviets were requesting that the U.N. sanction the U.S. for spying activity. The U.S. ambassador countered with showing the U.N. Security Council this device, declaring that the Soviets had been illegally spying as well. And I have here for you a video of the U.N. Security Council meeting where the thing is revealed. And it took the CIA years to figure out how it actually worked. At the United Nations, the Security Council debate on Soviet charges of American aggression ends with a sharp final clash between Gromyko and Lodge. Ambassador Lodge counters repeated denials of Soviet spy activities with a concrete and dramatic example. He tells how the Soviet planted a listening device in America's Moscow embassy, concealed inside a wooden carving of the Great Seal, presented as a gift by the Russians. It's like a Trojan horse. Yeah. Go ahead, open it up. Oh, shit! Here is the, uh, here is the clandestine listening device. The clandestine listening device. Uh, you see the, the antenna in the area, and it was right under the beak. Right under the beak. Of the eagle. I, I might add that... <clears throat> The actual vote on Russia's move to censor the United States for the U-2 incident follows, with a 7-2 vote in favor of America. Only Poland sides with the Soviet. Russia now threatens to take its charges to the General Assembly, thus getting the maximum propaganda mileage from the incident of the shot-down reconnaissance plane. Meanwhile, the Council moves on to consider a resolution calling for the Big Four to resume their top-level conference. Wow. Wow. Wild. Okay. Last bit of info. 
Okay. So uh, Lev Terman lived out his eight-year bullcrap sentence and ended up continuing to work for the same secret laboratory once he was free to rejoin the Soviet public and meet his third and final wife. Um, despite being imprisoned in one of the greatest human rights violations the world has known, Terman remained loyal to the USSR, petitioning for and resubmitting his application yearly to be granted official citizenship within the Soviet Union. It was granted to him three months before the dissolution of the Soviet Union. Oh, I hate when that happens. <laughs> A couple years later, he died. The end. Hey, everyone. We had this awesome interview with Christopher Walken for you this week. Unfortunately, his legal team called us, and due to some... All they said was allegations. We're not allowed to use anything of his where he says actual words. What we are allowed to use is the recording we got of him as he left the studio, dropping his open face sandwich top down. Uh, oh.